even though we boot the kids out of here, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be uh, learning about sex. And you may wonder, how early should you talk to your kids about sex? Uh, I would say, and, and not to be funny here, I think you should start with age-appropriate conversations around three. Yes, three. And just for the record, for the parents in here who do not want to talk to their kids about sex, I just want to let you know, someone will, for sure. It could be you, leading and directing biblically, or it can be the world. There are resources out there that can help you if you don't know what to say, and that's okay. They're very helpful resources. I want to share a few with you this morning. It's called God's Design for Sex Series. Ages 3 to 5, here's the book 1. And then there's a book two for five to eight, and a book three for ages eight to 11, and a book four, 11 through 14. There's also a uh, book series, uh, it's called, you know, you've heard of Every Man's Battle, but here is some for the younger children, uh, preparing your son for every young man's battle, and preparing uh, your daughter for every young woman's battle. Crucial crucial information to share with your kids, to have a conversations where it just becomes natural, where they're young, and you raise them in doing this. I want to encourage you parents to step up because someone will step up in your place if it's not you. Hey, this morning, probably going to make you really uncomfortable. It's not my intention to make you uncomfortable, but it's like for some of you who are sitting uh, with your parents, you will really feel more uncomfortable. Parents with your kids, everybody's just going just, to, just think about as bad as it is for you, just think of me, all right? <laughs> yes, have empathy. This is going to be uncomfortable, but we have got to talk about this today. We have to, have to, have to. And for those of you who may wonder, why are we talking about this? If you don't know, it's okay, but this will really have a lot to say to some of you. Uh, before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, we pray for the kids. They're, uh, they're in, underneath us right now learning about Jesus, they're learning about the gospel. And many uh, years from now, they're going to learn about sex, your design for sex. And I just ask that you would help the parents to step up and be the ones that teach that. Rooted in your truth, give us wisdom how to do that. And it's hard for many of us parents to talk about sex because a lot of us in here, we've, we have problems with sex. A variety of, a variety of uh, sin, misconceptions, desires that are disordered. And who are we to talk to our kids if we can't even deal with ourselves? So this morning, Lord, in this uncomfortable topic, bring light and truth and be with us. In Christ's name, amen. I read this short story that I'm going to share with you. Once upon a time, there was a man who went to go visit a village of people who lived by the river. And at night they built a fire and they were eating and drinking and having a good time by the river. 
And then a 14-foot crocodile came out of the river and it chomped this other dude's arm off. I mean, blood squirting everywhere. Everybody's freaking out in shock. They bandage the dude up and they, they usher him to the hospital. Now, the visitor was like, oh my, that was terrible. But what freaked out the visitor is that the people, after that guy went to the hospital, they started eating and drinking again and just kind of hanging out as if nothing happened. And the visitor's like, did you see that crocodile bite that dude's arm up, blood squirt? Did you see that? They're like, yes, we saw it. There is many crocodile attacks, several per year. We saw it. He's like, what, what are you talking about? Don't you want to do something about these crocodile attacks? You're acting like it's no big deal. And they said back to the man, kind of embarrassingly, it's not polite in our community to talk about the crocodiles. In our church culture, it's often not appropriate to talk about sex. And let me take a little bit further. It's often not appropriate to talk about sex within marriage. Yeah, we'll talk about, the, you know, before you get married, and often in church you'll hear about, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> and when you take someone through premarital counseling, you, you talk to them, you're like, all right, you guys stay impure? Don't do it. And then we'll say something like, okay, let's talk about your views on sex. Let's talk about your views from your past, maybe some abuses you've suffered, some ways you're thinking about sex. So we'll talk about sex to the premarital marital couple. But then once someone gets married, a weird thing happens. There's no more conversations about sex. And yet there are many couples who are married in their sex life who are maimed and hurting. Now, if you're single here this morning, you want to ask me a few questions. Is that not right? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. what do you mean? Problems with sex in marriage. Please enlighten me. What problems are you talking about? Because I'm looking forward to getting married one day and I hope it is a good sex life. What do you mean problems? Well, let me tell you. Some of the problems within marriage can be infrequent sex, non-existent sex, pity sex, selfish sex, unpleasant sex, a lot of dysfunction perhaps from medical issues. You'd be fearful of sex. There are a host of problems that can occur between a husband and wife which leaves their intimate life in their marriage maimed and hurting and no one really wants to talk about it so I'm going to tread delicately this morning and we're going to attempt to talk about it and the reason why we're going to talk about it is because we believe that Christ has invaded our life and he shows mercy to us and he brings healing to us and he brings restoration to us and we believe that that touches all areas of our lives including the sex life. All right, let's do this. Go back to Song of Songs. 
Let's turn back to Song of Songs. That's why we're talking about this. I didn't just wake up one day and decide to preach on this. It's in the Bible. We're looking at Song of Songs. Maybe you can find it in the middle of your Bible. Look on someone next to you that God designed sex to be enjoyed between a husband and wife. And we've arrived at chapter 4. And chapter 4 is the night of the honeymoon between the man and the woman. It is going to be perfect sex. And seeing their sexual encounter can be discouraging for those married folks who feel maimed in their sex life. And that is why we must keep looking at the bigger picture of the Song of Songs. It's a biblical book, so we must set it in the context of the whole Bible. And here's what we've been saying all along. Song of Songs shows us a romance that celebrates God's gift of love, pleasure, and fidelity while simultaneously pointing forward to the perfection of love in someone greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. Big picture. God and his people are depicted in marriage in the Old Testament. Christ and the church in the New Testament. And what we want to keep doing through this whole thing is thinking of the ultimate love in Christ. That's why the series is called Longing for Love, Looking to Christ. And though the relationship between a man and a woman is spoken about in Song of Songs, there is a greater love that we can have in Christ. And it's this love that we have in Christ that can transform and heal your life and even can start to have mercy and grace upon your marital sex life. So let's do this. Let's look at the honeymoon. We're going to be in chapter 4. So far, the couple has been restraining their passion with purity. But now the night of the wedding bliss has finally come. Now, it feels really weird doing this, but this is what's in the Bible. Uh, we're going to break down the wedding night sexual encounter. No, I know, I know. Let me put this up for you. Uh, verses 1 through 15, you're going to have anticipation. And then in verse 16, invitation. Um, and then we go into chapter 5 with consummation and affirmation. <laughs> I know you're awake. Let's do this. <laughs> Everybody's listening. No one's sleeping today. All right. Chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Before they were married... He showed restraint, but, but now he's observing her and describing her in detail. And the woman's going to describe the man in detail in chapter 5. They are alone. And he is beholding her beauty as he's going to start with her face, and he's going to work his way down. And he's using his words to tell her how beautiful she is. Her eyes, if you notice, are doves behind your veil. Perhaps this is some type of wedding veil or a full body veil. But he can see her gentle eyes that are like doves. And her veil covers her but reveals enough so that he wants to see more. So the veil has to be removed before further intimacy can happen. Now one scholar has said that the veil acts as a barrier underlies her inaccessibility. It protects her from too much attention. 
And the scholar goes on to say, our veils, though, are not only physical, sometimes these veils can be emotional, psychological, intellectual, or spiritual. Uh, you think that once you move into your married life, you're going to you know, let your guard down, let your veil down, take your mask off. But sometimes even in marriage, you don't want to appear to be weak. You don't want to appear to be vulnerable. But if you want this intimacy in marriage, this closeness, you've got to have this progressive unveiling of yourselves to your spouse. It's essential for love to flourish. So we want to unveil ourselves because love, you know, bears all things. We want to show our inadequacies. We want to show our insecurities and our fears and our failures. So if you're hiding from your spouse these things that make you feel insecure, you don't want to talk about it, your fears, there can be this gradual unveiling to one another can increase love and intimacy as we let our guard down. Let's get back to the description in verse 1. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now as the, the black goats would stream down the mountains, so her hair is streaming down her body. We have this anticipation of, of sexual intimacy. It's building. Verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. So it's like she uses crest white strips um, as they have a lack of, uh, flock of shorn ewes, female sheep, that come up from the washing. And it's like, you know, she's had some pretty good orthodontic work because it says that her, their teeth are lined up with no gap, and it says they bear twins. And as a bonus, not one among them has lost its young. It's great. She has all her teeth. Isn't that, isn't that a great new romantic line? I bet you've never heard that before. Oh, honey, I just, I just, I'm so glad you have all your teeth. It's, it's great. <laughs> Keep going. Verse 3. Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Maybe she has some type of lipstick on, and her lips are like a scarlet thread, and, and mouth is lovely. And you notice her cheeks are like a cut open pomegranate that's colorful behind her veil. Verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. So her, her neck is upright and dignified like the royal Tower of David. And then she has all types of necklaces on, like a, a thousand shields. Now, obviously he's very close to her. He can see all the details of her face. Now, what's he, what's he going to do here? He's going to start work in his way down her body. But the descriptions are not graphic, but they are poetic and lovely. So start in verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. Check the cover of your book you're reading. Yep, that is the Bible. These things are in the Bible. A description I read that, that, that fawns are shy and rarely observed while gazelles are graceful. Both qualities are a fitting comparison. 
Basically, what it's saying is that her breasts are for him and not to be seen or observed by the masses. A similar thing is said in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Finally, he gets to be with her, as he says in verse 6. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. So he gets to go at night to the mountain of love and be with her. He has his eye on her. He's admiring her beauty. And he says in verse 7, You are altogether beautiful. My love, there is no flaw in you. Really? <laughs> yeah, in his eyes. It's okay, husbands, to compliment your wives even over the years. And you think, yeah, but things change over the years. We age. Yeah, you do too. Yeah, really, you do. <laughs> So it's okay to use encouraging words to build up your wife and complimenting the way she looks, even her body. I read this story about this guy. He said to his wife on their wedding day, he said, you know, I want you to know that I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't have married you. But I'm telling you I love you right now because throughout the rest of our, our, our marriage, I'm not going to tell you anymore. Okay? You know it, and I've already said it. Well, that's pretty romantic, right? <laughs> but some guys do that. You know, you're like, you're like all romantic and stuff while you're dating and engaged, and then you get married, you're like, you say nothing. And you wonder, well, why, why are we not very intimate? Well, words are part of that. Whether they're coming from the guy or they're coming from the girl, we can use our words to encourage one another, even in intimacy. We'll keep going. Let's see what happens now. Look at verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me uh, from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinar and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. Lebanon, as, as well as the peaks of Amman, Sinar, and Hermon, represent Dangerous places filled with lions and leopards. And what he's doing here, he's calling her into his love and calling her into his safety. He's calling her into this intimacy. And get this, the man is gentle and he's loving and he's kind. I'm just going to say something to the singles in here. You think, well, this is way too premature to be talking about this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to throw a lot out there today, and whatever you need, you need to hear, you need to hear. Now, check this out. There's a story. I'm going to tell a lot of stories today of this girl who never had been kissed. And she's about to get married. And she was a little apprehensive about her wedding night. And the guy she was marrying... I mean, we don't know about his background, but he had all types of stuff that he was ready to try, uh, all of his fantasies uh, on the wedding night. So on the wedding night, she's very timid, and he comes basically roaring at, 
at her like Conan the Barbarian. I mean, he's going to attack mode. And this is what he said. He said, I scared her to death. And it took years of counseling for her to begin to open up and truly appreciate her passion and sexuality. That's not the man here. The man here is patient. He is kind. He is gentle. He is loving. He's offering safety. He's not this hard-charging guy. We're going to do all this. He's patient and kind, even with their intimacy. Verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? She's captivated his heart. Just one glance of her eyes or one sparkle of her necklace captivates his heart. Basically, she drives him crazy in a good way and blows his mind. And notice that he calls her his bride and his sister. (laughs) Now, we get the bride reference. But I've never called my wife my sister. But the term indicates friendship. They are lovers and they are friends. And that's what we want in a marriage relationship. We want romance and we want friendship. But be careful here. I believe there's a a myth floating around Christian circles, even in the world, that goes something like this. When you get married, you have to marry your best friend. And if you don't marry your best friend, oh, it's going to be terrible. So let me say something heretical here this morning. If you didn't marry your best friend, that's okay. You don't have to marry your best friend. It's okay really close friend of mine in college, he got married and then I talked to him about a year and a half later and he was miserable in his marriage and he said to me, he said, man, I should have married my best friend but I ended up marrying my wife because she's pretty. (laughs) And so he started talking again to this old girl who was his best friend and I was saying, no, 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 don't go there. So if you're in here this morning and you're not, not getting along so well with your spouse and you're thinking, should have married my best friend, it's okay. That friendship can develop over time. You can grow together in your love and in your intimacy and also in your friendship. So I don't want anybody in here perpetuating that myth any longer. It's okay if you didn't marry your best friend. But that relationship can grow. Keep going. Keep going with the text. Look at this intimate friendship in marriage in verse 11. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So he can not only smell her intimate clothes, but he can taste her. He says that her her lips drip nectar, and honey and milk are under her 
tongue. How does he know what it tastes like under her tongue? Well, let's just say that Solomon discovered a type of kiss long before the French. Let's now call it the Hebrew kiss. Now, the next few verses indicate that the the man's observation are still moving down the woman's body. And many of these things could be metaphors for sexual intimacy. And what I want to do, I want to just simply read it and leave most of it uninterpreted, if that's okay. Verse 12. A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all chief spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. What I want to point out here, if you notice in verse 12, he says, he refers to his bride as a locked garden. And as a spring locked in a fountain sealed up. This could be a reference to her virginity. uh, An indication that she's been off limits to all other men. But now it says that he will enjoy her. He says he will enjoy all choices of fruits and all the choice spices. Because now she is a garden fountain. A well of living water and flowing streams. So she was saving herself for him. Now, as I think about uh, married couples and a variety of problems they could be having in their, in their marriage intimate life, it could be from the experiences they had prior to marriage with other people. And if that's you, obviously, before you get married, I want to encourage you to talk those out with a counselor, um, talk them out with your ethos, and yeah, be open with people in an appropriate way. Um, in some instances in marriage, People can have been abused as a child or maybe they were sexually abused in college or maybe as an adult. And that can make sex within marriage very, very challenging. This is very real stuff. Once again, if that's you, encourage you, encourage you to talk to a Christian counselor, encourage you to share with uh, your ethos as appropriate. But one of the more um, common source of difficulties that I've seen in marriage, and I'm just going to throw this out, all right, I know this will be uncomfortable for some of you, um, but one of the common sources of difficulties in, in intimacy in, our marriage, in marriage that I see when I talk to, to couples is because one of the partners, if not two of the, the husband and wife, if one of them is having either an emotional affair with someone else, a physical affair, or one of them is into pornography. So the conversation will kind of go like this. Uh, be like, yeah... They'll come in there and they talk about their marital problems and they're talking about how they're, they're not, their sex life is pretty much terrible or non-existence. And, and one of them will get accusatory. And they'll say something like, you know what? We don't have sex because you are into pornography. And then the other person will shoot back and will say, yeah, I'm into pornography because we don't have sex. And so you have this circle of destruction that keeps happening over and over again. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, what is going to break this? 
And what's going to break it is repentance, grace, mercy, the cross of Jesus Christ invading and forgiving and the couples learning to live with one another and communicate in an understanding way. And that is not going to happen overnight. Because one partner can say, all right, I'm not looking at pornography anymore. Let's go. Stuff takes time and healing. And your Christian community has got to be involved. I'm telling you, as embarrassing as it is to talk about this to people that are close to you, you've got to do it because you need your brothers and sisters to help you through this. All right, we're still going. We're going to finish this up today. And now we have the invitation. The invitation. They've been anticipating sex with his wife, but now she invites him for sexual intimacy. Look what she says in verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. So she's not just putting up with sex. She is not just doing duty sex, right? This is not pity sex, she is inviting him in a way where she wants to be intimate with her husband. So that's the invitation. Well, now the consummation, the man is eager to respond to her invitation, and look at chapter 5, verse 1. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. So he, he's coming to the smells and the feast and the drink. And all this imagery is a, is a feast of sexual delight within marriage. They are enjoying themselves. And lastly, we have the affirmation. Look at the very end of, of verse 1 of chapter 5. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Now, when you read this, you're like, who are these people in their bedroom? <laughs> You're like, what is going on? But, but keep in mind, this is poetry. Uh, many believe that this here could be the affirmation of the community or even the affirmation from God. Marital delights are right and pure in the sight of God. You did not create sex. God created sex to be enjoyed within marriage. And within marriage, there's no need for shame, and guilt, but there can be pure pleasure in marriage. Now, I don't know if you've ever read Song of Songs, chapter 4, and maybe some of you are thinking, honey, we need to read this a lot, you know, <laughs> for those of you who are married. Because when you look at it, you're like, wow, this marital intimacy looks perfect. I mean, you have poetry, you have romance, you have unending bliss, and, it, and it's just like paradise. And when you read this, you think, man, is, is everybody else's marriage like this? No. No. No, it's not. Two sinners have married one another in a sinful and broken world, and things do not always work out as expected, and that also includes your sex life. But we believe that Christ 
can forgive us of our sins through his death on the cross, including our sexual disorders and immorality, right? He can forgive us. And he can fill us with his spirit, and he can start giving us grace to live with our spouses in understanding ways. does not mean that your sex life is always going to be perfect. But maybe there can be some healing, some understanding, some mercy, some kindness through the cross, burial, resurrection of Christ, filling of the Spirit. You're completely accepted by the Father through faith, and now you can move out toward your spouse in grace. Now, what I want to do, I want to have two closing thoughts for married couples. And I, I know most of you are single, but it's good for you to hear these things, all right? It's good to for you to hear these things before maybe one day you get married. All right, so here are my closing thoughts. Number one, work through problems tenderly. Work through problems tenderly. There are real fears that need to be dealt with in gentleness. Here are some fears. Maybe there's a, a memory of a bad experience in the past, mistrust, fear of being abused or taken advantage of, Fears of being manipulated or hurt. Fears of allowing another to come close. Maybe anxieties about the capacity to respond. Maybe you fear mockery or failure or inadequacy or exposure. And did you see that there's a lot of feelings and fears that can be brought into the marriage and that affects intimacy? You need to get to a point where you're working through problems tenderly. Just like Christ has been tender and gentle with you, you need to be tender and gentle with your spouse as you, as you work through these issues. And I don't even want to move on to the second one unless you're at a point where over days and months and years you're working on the first one. Because what people often want to do is just jump to the second one, which I'm not going to show you yet. But, but think about it. How can you be tender and kind towards your spouse and work through some of these issues? Here's the last thought I want to share. Serve one another willingly. Do not jump to this one unless you're dealing with one another tenderly. Serve one another willingly. There is a passage that I'm now going to put up that is in the Bible. Maybe you've never seen it before. It comes from Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. This is in the Bible. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Begin, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Part of this passage is indicating that intimacy and sex within marriage should be regular. Now, if you could raise your hands, you'd probably like to say, can you please define regular? <laughs> you guys have to work that out in your marriage, okay? And I know that can be some tensions as well. But there is to be this, this coming together of a man and a woman in intimacy within marriage, because the husband's body does not belong to himself, but to his wife. And the wife's body does not belong to herself, but to her 
husband. And they are to serve one another willingly in intimacy. But get this. One of the reasons why he's saying this, he's saying it because there can be attacks from the enemy when a husband and wife are not coming together on a regular basis. So if there's periods of time that could be apart from, maybe you, you want to take time out from sex because you have a periods of prayer and fasting. There could be medical reasons for seasons why you wouldn't have sex, but it should be regular. But when it's not, the enemy can attack. So let's say a husband and wife not doing so well in their, their relationship and that carries over to the bedroom and they're just kind of angry at each other and they're not getting along. This happens day after day, week after week, and so they go to bed together, like every night. And the wife sleeps as far as she can on one side of the bed, facing away from her husband. And the husband sleeps as far as he can on the other side of the bed, facing the wall. And I want to tell you this. This may sound a little silly, but it's true. You know who's sleeping in the middle? Satan. Because that verse, that passage, talks about the enemy tempting you to evil. And that may be your marriage right now. (laughs) You have invited Satan into your bed. (laughs) And there's temptations that are flaring up. It's not good. And just like that community I talked about at the beginning that doesn't want to talk about crocodiles maiming people, you may leave here today and decide you do not want to talk about this issue. You certainly don't want to talk to other people about it. I'm telling you, the enemy will continue to attack you until you start to deal with this. And there is grace and healing and mercy in Christ. You may think that this is too big of a problem, too huge. Christ has invaded your life, and he is a healer. And he can bring mercy and grace, even in this area. Don't dismiss him. Don't push him away. But come to him this morning for grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing. Let's pray. Father, I I do pray for the marriages in here. And since this is things that are often not talked about, there's, there's a lot of silent sufferers in here. And there's a lot of couples that are under attack of the enemy. Maybe they've not put it together. And and even sermons like this, Lord, you just think about there's people in here who have medical problems. Medical issues. And Lord, in the marriages where there are issues like that, may there be kindness and patience and mercy and grace. And for the couple in here who are continue to dabble in emotional, physical affairs or pornography, just let them know they are just destroying themselves and inviting Satan into their marriage. So, Lord, I just ask that whatever confession needs to happen this morning, that it can be a start of something that's healthy uh, in our lives. And even for the singles in here, the patterns that they have developed uh, sexually, uh, maybe into immorality, they would walk in your truth 
they would realize that you created sex and it's not, the desire itself is not something to condemn and to feel shame about, but the desire should not lead to morality. So just show us what these appropriate desires look like and move in our hearts this morning. Bombard us with your grace. In Christ's name, amen.